Thank you so much for being here. <clears throat> if you don't have some notes, you can get those in the back uh, of the worship center. Um, just to let you know, for those of you who may be a little bit behind, uh, since the weather has gotten a little cold and actually get to wear a jacket, it made me think a little bit about Christmas today. So, um, just as a heads up, you have 10 more Fridays until Christmas. You're like, Ugh. 67 days away, 10 more Fridays, and it will be here. I know one of the, the story I'm about to tell is a story about myself. And I know that I've probably told you uh, this story before, uh, but because it's about me, it doesn't get old to me. I'm sorry if it gets old to you, but it relates very well to what we're talking about tonight. Uh, so... In the fall of 2005, uh, my life changed in a very major way. At that time, I was the interim youth pastor, youth minister here at Emmanuel. Um, the church uh, was in the beginning stages of some major transitions. And at that time, our church was looking for a youth minister. And I was the interim youth minister. I'd been the associate youth minister for a while. And <clears throat> I could think of. Excuse me. Sorry about that. I could think of no better person to get that job than myself. Right. And so as our youth pastor search team met and they began to do um, what they do in a, in a youth search team. Um, they decided on someone different than me. And it really boiled down to um, the fact that I was single and the other guy was married. Now, before we get too far into the weeds here, I will tell you on this side of being married, I would make the exact same decision. So I'm not faulting anyone for that. But uh, that is the direction that the search team decided to go. So at that point... Uh, I had a few life choices that I needed to make, a few things that were going to happen in my life. So quickly after that, uh, I did not feel like I could stick around here. So I started attending a different church in town. And while I started attending that church, I found uh, a lot of friendships that were very good for me. A lot of friendships that would be vital to my spiritual growth at the time. A lot of friendships that are uh, still very uh, deep friendships that I have today. Um, a few other amazing things happened while I was at that church. One thing was that I started to work with the college and career group at that church, the young adults in that church. And back in 2005, there was not Facebook. There was this weird thing called MySpace. In MySpace, we created this group on there, and we started adding people to the group uh, so that we could have communication with one another, letting everyone know what we're doing. And uh, I won't go into the entire story, to make a little bit shorter of a story than it needs to be, but there was a young lady by the name of Catherine at this church. I know you are giggling, thinking that's my wife's name, but this was not my wife. I was trying to uh, friend um, this person, bring her into this group. And in searching for that Catherine, 
I friended the wrong Catherine. And it just so happens to that Catherine ends up being my wife. Yes, uh, you all know that story. But, and so you're like, did you really? Yes, I met my wife on MySpace. And it was by complete accident. And uh, we won't go into that whole story. It was also at that church that uh, that Catherine uh, ends up being a very good friend of mine. And I just so happened to, uh, yes, God was the one that brought them together. But I was able to introduce her to her husband, who happened to be the son of our children's minister at Emmanuel at the time, Terry Everett. And so I actually got to be a part of them going on their first date. And uh, it, it was kind of elementary going through all that stuff but anyway um, it was amazing how God used uh, that time there um, to build relationships and have some life-changing friendships in that moment this was also a time when I was able to go back to school finish my bachelor's degree uh, something that I probably would not have done or taken a very long time to do if I had accepted a position of ministry, a full-time ministry at that time. So I was able to go back to school, finish my bachelor's degree. And while I did not see it at the time, God was doing a work all around me. I made lifelong friendships. I found the love of my life. Uh, I helped be a matchmaker, right? You break out into the song, Fiddler on the Roof, right? Uh, I finished my degree, all of these things that would not have taken place. But when I was in the middle, how's the saying go? I couldn't see the forest for the trees. I was so focused on the immediate that I didn't see what God was doing all around me the entire time. So from that moment, you fast forward two or three years, and I started working with the BSM at UTPB, it was a part-time position. Uh, they were in a time of transition as well, and they wanted to just keep it moving, to keep a group meeting. And so I became the BSM director. One of their criteria that they had in that moment was that uh, because I was going to a non-denominational church, and uh, just for you Baptists in the room, a non-denominational church is just Baptist with a cool website, right? Um, <laughs> But their criteria was that I needed to go to a Baptist church to be the BSM director. Go figure. And so uh, at that time, uh, I decided I would go to the only Baptist church that uh, I thought was a good Baptist church in Odessa. Uh, I came back to Emmanuel. That was about two or three years later. Um, About six months after I came back to Emmanuel, the youth pastor that was here decided that he wanted to uh, moved back to the promised land, a.k.a. Oklahoma. And in him leaving, they started a new search team, and I became the youth pastor. So um, why do I tell you that story? Tonight we're going to look at, in the book of Hebrews at how God is going to work in his people's life. And a lot of the time along the way, they're not going to understand what God is doing. As a matter of fact, they're going to see glimpses of some things that they're not going to fully understand what they mean. But God is working all along. 
And as I look back at my life in this moment, I see this situation and I think to myself, uh, I question God. God, do you know what you're doing? Uh, I would go so far as to say in some moments I was angry with God. Um, and, and as a side sermon for you, if you're ever angry with God, don't stop talking to him. Just tell him you're mad at him. Tell him that you don't understand. And I promise you, eventually it's going to make sense. Because it took about three years. But I could look back at that time and go, Oh, that's what you were doing. I didn't see it before, but I see it now. And so, this is how it will be with the people of God. And as the writer of the book of Hebrews is going through the first nine chapters In Hebrews, he is looking back throughout all of the history of God's people. And he is going to show them how they all, all the history throughout all the time, from Genesis all the way up to the present day, how all of the things were leading to Jesus Christ. How they were all pointing to Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews is writing to God's people. They would have known the history of God's people all the way back to Abraham and he's just going to begin to highlight these, these areas. Uh, Landon mentioned this on Sunday. The book of Hebrews has two main goals. The first one is to lift up Jesus Christ. To show his supremacy uh, in why he came. In who he is. To show how he is supreme over all. Uh, and like I said, this is taken, stealing this straight from Landon, but... Secondly, uh, he talks about how uh, he was to encourage God's people how to follow Jesus. And it was like a two, uh, two-sided coin. One was positive and that he wanted to encourage people to follow after Jesus uh, and what that meant for them. But on the flip side of that, he showed what would happen if you did not follow Christ and the negative things that would uh, then. Negative parts of falling away from Christ and not chasing after him. So God's people needed to continually hear over and over, do not stop following Christ. Because if that happens, you can expect judgment. And so um, the writer of Hebrews starts the letter off like this. You can flip over to Hebrews chapter 1. Starting in verse 1, he says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers By the prophet. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power, by the word of his power. He continues just to highlight the history of God's people. Uh, And he talks about, through the first eight chapters, his supremacy over angels in chapter 1 and 2. Meaning that uh, Jesus' message that he was bringing was even greater than the message that the angels had brought to Moses. The message that Jesus had to share was greater than what the angels had to bring to Moses on Mount Sinai. Chapters 3 and 4, he's the greater Moses. Jesus was the greater Moses, the one that would uh, be the servant. And Moses was the servant, Jesus was the son. He's saying he's the greater Moses. 
He's the better Joshua. The very one who would lead them into the promised land. Uh, And he's saying that I am the one that Joshua was pointing to. Jesus was that one. The writer uh, then goes on to talk about Jesus' supremacy over the priest. And all the sacrificial system. And, all, and that's kind of where we're landing tonight in talking about the sacrificial system. And the atonement that must be made for God's people. For the sins of the nations. And so the writer then at that point is going to transition into this uh, sacrificial system. And talk about the sacrifices. And how these sacrifices did not take away sin. But ultimately they were pointing us forward to the one who could take away sin. And that leads us to our big idea tonight. Uh, Our big idea is that Jesus' sacrifice put aside old covenant practices that did not take away sin and secured complete forgiveness once and for all all for God's people. So let's read our passage this evening, starting in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 10. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, they, the, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. I'm going to read that one more time. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings uh, you have not desired, but the body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Then he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are all offered according to the law. And then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that we will, uh, we will, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Let's pray this evening. God, we thank you for loving us so much that you gave us your son. I know we have all heard this story before. I know that it is uh, not a new story for most of us. But Father, I pray that you would remind us of it tonight. What your son came to do, what he came to accomplish On behalf of sinners. Father I pray that we would take it to heart. I pray that it would change the way we live. I pray that uh, God we would always be thankful. For the gift of your son. And what he accomplished to give us life. To make us right with the father again. God speak to us tonight. We ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 
You know, one of the, thing that, one of the things that <clears throat> believers often struggle with today is the friction between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I've actually <clears throat> heard Bible-believing followers of Jesus make comments like, I don't need the Old Testament anymore. Uh, it's very confusing. A lot of things in, and I'll be the first to admit, a lot of things in the Old Testament are very confusing. Um, I don't need the law stuff. I don't need the sacrifice stuff. Uh, it's just messy. The commandments, all the stuff in Leviticus and Numbers. You know, we were doing good reading through the, the Bible at one time. And when we hit Numbers and Levit Leviticus and Numbers, I, just, I lost it. Very confusing. And people will claim that all I need now is Jesus and how he's told me to live. Maybe the apostles and how they've told us to live. How they've taught us how to follow Jesus. Uh, you might hear people say things uh, so dramatic as to say um, Old Testament is uh, done away with. And the New Testament is really all that we should read. And they, in essence, they're saying, you know, Old Testament bad, New Testament good. And sometimes I think we consider the Old Testament negatively because uh, we will see very specifically, as, as Landon read earlier, that when we try to take Christians in our little comfortable American bubbles and we start talking about sacrificing animals and what that must have looked like what that must have smelled like year after year after year that's unless you're a hunter who likes to hunt that's not something you will ever see and so it's gross it's messy the blood i mean no one wants to uh, to go sacrifice leonard the lamb I mean, he was our pet for years and years, and now all of a sudden we're having to take him up to atone for our sins. And it's just something that a lot of us would consider grotesque. And so we, in essence, say Old Testament bad and New Testament is good. But let's look at this first section when we talk about this evening. In your first fill in the blank here, it says, The Old Testament was merely a shadow of the better things to come. And what the writer of the book of Hebrews, uh, in, his, in this first part of Hebrews 10, is trying to do for those who are reading this, uh, this letter is he's showing us how the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, they go together. It's not one that was um, better. One is definitely better, but one was pointing straight, it was pointing straight to the cross. The whole sacrificial system, it was not to take sins away, but it was all pointing forward to Jesus on the cross. Um, it makes it clear in chapter 9. Uh, flip back one chapter, chapter 9, starting in verse 11. He sa says this, But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, through the greater tabernacle, through God dwelling with us, Emmanuel, God with us. We just sang about that. Not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. 
thus securing an eternal redemption. I want you to just head back to the Old Testament with me for a moment. And the priest coming year after year to offer sacrifices year after year, again and again. And because of this sacrificial system um, to be made for sins... uh, so you atone for the sins and immediately as you're leaving this uh, atonement procedure, guess what? Everyone's sinning again. Everyone uh, didn't stop sinning. It, it, it was a vicious cycle. Why? Because these were the sacrifices. Uh, these sacrifices from the Old Testament were insufficient. They were insufficient. You can look at Romans chapter 3. Gives us a glimpse into those sac- what those sacrifices did. They s- sufficed for a moment. They satisfied the wrath of God for a brief moment. Not completely. But these sacrifices pointed forward. Not to themselves. Not to the sacrifice themselves. But they point- pointed away from themselves. Towards the greater sacrifice. William Barclay says it like this. And I'm paraphrasing. I'm not quoting this exactly. Let's say a man is sick. And he's given a bottle of medicine. He's prescribed a bottle of medicine. And he takes this medicine. If the medicine makes him better. Every time he looks at that bottle afterwards. He will say. This is what gave me back my health. This bottle of medicine. On the other hand. If the medicine does not work. Every time he looks at the bottle, he will be reminded that he is still sick and that the recommended recommended cure was useless, was completely useless. Landon read earlier from Exodus, the Passover story, and what must have what was commanded to God's people to for the for God to pass over for de- to pass over and so that death would not fall upon that house. There had to be blood shed. And it wasn't just God pouring out his wrath upon the Egyptians. If his own people did not follow this rule, guess what? Death visited that home. Sacrifice needed to be made. They were to take this. Smear the blood on the doors. God passed over. And they were saved in the moment. Because if you fast forward 20, 30, 40, 50 years, guess what happened? They died. They weren't saved forever. They were saved for a moment. They still died. Uh, God delayed his wrath upon them for the moment because of their faith. And likewise, when the priest would go in and offer these sacrifices um, on the Day of Atonement, and when they would sprinkle the blood of the animals on the mercy seat, um, God withheld the wrath from the people for the year, made atonement for the sins for the year. And every year they would have to repeat this uh, process to cover the sins of the people. Uh, ultimately, these shadows were pointing us to the sun. Let's look at the shadows in the sun. The author of Hebrews, is, Hebrews uses this imagery of a shadow. The comparison of, uh, between the sacrifices of Jesus and the sacrifices uh, of the Old Testament. The sacrificial system that 
were offered year after year, and these were but a shadow. It's a blurred image, a blurred, a blurred replica of what was coming. You know, one of the things about a shadow is it's really hard to figure out sometimes what it's a shadow of, especially the further away it is, and we don't recognize what it is. And so uh, a few months ago, we were doing a discipleship class down in the large fellowship hall with a bunch of pastors from town, from around town, and this group comes in to teach this discipleship class to us, and they had us do this really weird thing where they dump out a puzzle on your table, and they say, okay, put the puzzle together. One of the things they don't do, though, is they don't give us a picture of what we're building. So you're like, oh, great. So you start with the edge pieces, and then you're just, oh, I don't know, colors, let's try to match something up. This looks like it fits here. And then you get the puzzle put together, and you're like, oh, that's kind of pretty. I like that. I see what, it, what it's a picture of now. They didn't give us the picture. And that's what it must have been like, a little bit like, what it would have been for the history of God's people. They had glimpses of the plan of God. They had glimpses of what God wanted to accomplish through the sacrificial system and what God was doing. But they didn't see the full picture of what was coming. They didn't see uh, what God was up to in that moment. But there was a huge problem with these sacrifices. When you think about the Old Testament sacrificial system, there was a big problem. Uh, let's consider these animal sacrifices for a minute. Number one, animal sacrifices were not able to bring forgiveness of, for sins. We know this because they had to continue to offer these sacrifices year after year after year. Even the priest who was offering the sacrifices for the, for the nation had to make a sacrifice for their own sins to atone for their own sins before they could go in and offer a sacrifice for the nation. They did not bring forgiveness of sins. Secondly, we also know this because the animal sacrifices reminded God's people of their inability to follow God's law. They were reminded every time they had to take a lamb or a goat or a bull to the priest. This was costing them something. Blood had to be spilled. A life had to be taken. Their sin cost something. But it was also a shining example that they could not obey God's law. I mean, that's one of the reasons why God gave it to him to begin with. Just give us a list of rules that we can follow. Great. You still can't follow them. They couldn't do it. And it was a never-ending cycle of sin. It was a never-ending cycle of sacrifice. Something needed to be done. Which leads to the next realization. A sufficient sacrifice was needed. Uh, William Barclay continues in his story. Um, he goes on and adds that because these sacrifices were continually being offered over and over, year after year, he says this, this is what will happen to you unless a better atonement can be found. Death. Your blood being spilled. That is what it will cost you for your sin. 
They were reminded not only of uh, the sin of their failure, but they were also reminded that judgment was coming. That's what the sacrificial system was doing to the people. Showing them their inability to follow God's law. Showing them that their sin cost something. Ultimately, something had to change. Because all of this wrath was going to come back on them eventually. And just like these poor animals, their lives uh, would be demanded for their sins if something did not change. Something had to change. Let's continue reading in the middle of verse 1 from uh, Hebrews chapter 10. It says, By the same sacrifices that were continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw did not make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have a consciousness of sin. It says, but in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood and goats to take away the sin. So as they considered these sacrifices, as they considered these sacrifices that were made year after year, a few differences to, to make a comparison between the sacrifices. First of all, Jesus did not shed the blood of another. God did not send Jesus to offer a sacrifice of animals. He didn't shed someone else's blood. And that's exactly what these Old Testament priests would do when they offered up sacrifices. They were of animals. It was not their own blood that was being poured out. It was the blood of animals. When Jesus died on the cross, he poured out his own blood as a sacrifice. He gave up his own life for a sacrifice. He didn't sacrifice another person's blood. He offered his own self. He gave his own life. The creator sacrificing himself for the created. So unlike the Old Testament priests who sacrificed another Another's blood. Jesus shed his own. Secondly, Jesus had no need to offer a sacrifice for himself. He didn't have to make atonement for himself. Uh, The priest would have to do that before they could go in and make this sacrifice. Jesus did not have to. Jesus was sinless. Jesus was perfect. He didn't need a sacrifice to be able to come into the presence of the Father. He lived a life of complete obedience to God's law. A life of complete obedience to the Father. That is why he is the better priest. To come and to offer this sacrifice. The original Old Testament um, sacrifices did not satisfy God uh, fully. There was something more coming. There was a shadow of the things that were to come. Um, The shadow left them longing for the real thing. The old covenant was lacking. And it could not be perfect, it could not perfect those who were being drawn near to God. Only Jesus could accomplish that. God is satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his son, because he was perfect. Because he was righteous. And in return, when he laid down his life for us, and we choose to follow after him, his righteousness is imputed to us. It is given to us. Um, So that 
Because nothing less than a perfect and righteous uh, person will meet God's standards. And only Christ can bring forgiveness for those sins. And the author of Hebrews continues to show us the comparison of the Old Testament sacrifice to Jesus. He does this by quoting uh, Psalm 40, 6 through 8. Now, Psalm 40 would have been written by King David. And as you read these words and think that David wrote these words, we have to understand that David was not writing them about himself because David knew uh, better than any of us knew about David that he was a sinner and he knew his own flaws and his own sins. So when he writes these down for us, it's a statement about the anticipation of the mission of Christ. He's talking about the anticipation of the Messiah coming, the Messiah who was to come, whose very shadow we are going to find in these verses. Look at this, what he says here. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. You know, a lot of times in the Old Testament, David is kind of um, looked at as this Christ-like figure, uh, as being that for the nation, as being the king of the nation. It's pointing forward to Jesus being the ultimate king of the nation. And there's a contrast here between, uh, as David is going to show us what God desires and what God doesn't desire with this sacrificial system. Let's check them out. First of all, it says God does not desire uh, sacrifice and offerings. But rather, he desires him to do the will of the Father. Now, this is a little bit of a difficult passage. This was something that uh, I kind of wrestled with as I prepared tonight. But it was difficult in the fact that to say God does not... Um, take pleasure in sacrifice, and yet God was the very one who set it up. You're like, okay, yeah, I get that, Corey. God is the one that set it up. And, you know, how do we wrestle with that? Psalm 51 gives us a little insight. Also, David says this, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Because here's the thing. All throughout the history of God's people, there were some, a lot of people who were probably going through the motion of offering sacrifices. And guess what? They could care less that it cost them a sheep or a goat. They were not sorry. Their hearts were not broken and contrite. And guess what? That offering to the Lord meant nothing, ultimately. Because what God truly did desire was brokenness in their heart. Was uh, a contrite heart. Those things you will not despise. Because God's ultimate goal was Jesus on the cross. That's what the plan was. All the way back from Genesis chapter 3. God laid out his plan before his people. This is what's going to happen. The plan was for his son to die for the sins of his people. That was the plan. All, you can go all the way back to Genesis 3 to see that laid out before us. 
The sacrificial system was to show God's people the seriousness of their sin. The state that they were in apart from the blood sacrifice. It should show us, the sacrificial, sacrificial system should show us that our sin deserves death. Our sin does, demands blood. Which is why in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ came to earth, tabernacled amongst us. He's the, greatest, the greater tabernacle. Uh, to dwell among his people. To live a life that we could not. To die the death that we deserve. So that we could be made right with the Father again. We celebrate this every year. When Christ came to dwell among us. We're 67 days away. Jesus was the one and only sacrifice that was meant to happen for God's people. Not goats, not bulls, or rams, but the one and only Son of God. Um, here's your next blank. Jesus offered the sufficient sacrifice. And all of the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to the cross. Pointed to the cross. God the Father did not ask Jesus the Son to go to earth to offer up sacrifices. He prepared a body for him and asked him to be the sacrifice. And in doing so, the father is asking the son for obedience. Isaiah um, 53, 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 23, talk about that. He was asking the son for obedience. Um, and so look at verse 9. Um, says, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Uh, these words, does away with, uh, announces that Jesus has taken the old covenant and he has uh, taken away the old covenant and he has established a new covenant, a second one. Uh, the Old Testament sacrificial system uh, was complete in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The time of the law is over. Jesus abolished it. Uh, Jesus is why we never have to offer up another sacrifice today because of our sins. We don't have to offer up a lamb or a bull for our sins. Jesus offered that sacrifice, as it says, once and for all. And that's good news for us. He came to do the will of the Father. He accomplished that will. Psalm 40 was pointing forward to that entire, the entire Old Testament. It's pointing forward to the cross and what Jesus would accomplish on the cross. Verse 10 expands on that. Of all the Hebrews has been pointing us to the supremacy of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Once and for all. All of the Old Testament, that's what it's pointing to. That's what he's trying to get across to his people. Jesus accomplished it. Which is why when he was on the cross and he breathed his last breath before, he said, it is finished. It is accomplished. And he gave up his life for us. We've been sanctified by the blood of the Lamb, which is why John the Baptist proclaimed before he baptized Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All of the Old Testament sacrificial system points us forward to the cross and what Jesus would accomplish on the cross for us. Once for all time. If those aren't your... Four favorite words in the whole Bible, then you've got a really good other four words. I don't know. That's pretty good. 
But no sacrifice ever has to be made again because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. So a few takeaways from tonight. What do we take away from Hebrews chapter 10? Um, as I was talking to someone earlier, I said, you know, I think it was Ted. I said, you're not probably not going to hear anything tonight that you haven't heard a hundred times before. Um, and likely you are here tonight and you're like, yeah, Jesus died for our sins. Corey, I've heard this story before and I've heard about the sacrificial system and this is not new news to you. Um, but it was good for me to study this this week. It was good to be reminded of what Jesus Christ has done for us because um, those sacrifices had meaning. They were all pointing us forward to the greatest act of love that anyone has ever known. We sang the song earlier, there, there is a fountain filled with blood, and it's drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. That's what Jesus came to accomplish, salvation for his people. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So on this side of the cross, for us knowing that, you know, for the Old Testament people who did not know uh, who Jesus was yet. They knew of a Messiah, but they were looking forward to it. What about us on this side of the cross? How do we respond to this today? First of all, we should have a broken heart over, uh, over sin. If you are a Christ follower, you were dead, you had no hope, your sin separated you from a holy God. Um, a price had to be paid for your sin. Uh, you couldn't pay it, but Jesus could. And like I said, the, in the fullness of time, he came and lived the life that you couldn't. He died the death that you deserved in order for you to be made right with the Father again. And I hope in the same way that the Old Testament sacrificial system made the people realize the seriousness of their sin, I pray that we don't take Jesus and put him up on this pedestal and say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for saving us. And we forget how ugly our sin is and what it cost God the Father. Jesus had to pay the price for you to have life. And that sin should break our hearts, which is why we should not do it. What a... That is what a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. How do you respond to that? Um, Jonathan Edwards reminds us. He says, you contribute. Uh, this is one of my favorite quotes that Landon's ever told us. You contribute nothing to your salvation except for the sin that made it necessary. I hope your sin bothers you. I hope it irritates you when we do it. It should. Um, it should break our hearts. Secondly, we should remember what Jesus has done and draw near to him. Right now, as a staff, we're reading a book called Gentle and Lowly. I would recommend this book to you. It's very good. Uh, this book is a lot like uh, my sermon tonight. It's probably not a lot that you haven't heard before. But it has been a great reminder for me, and it's been a great reminder, I know, for several others in our staff to, be, uh, to see uh, what God has done for us, how he has extended grace and mercy to us, how he deals with his people, how he has, uh, he's a, 
so much uh, love and, and grace towards us. Even in our, in our sin, he's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's gracious beyond measure. He meets us right where we are. He loves uh, us no matter what. And it's good to be reminded of that. Uh, and when we experience the forgiveness offered through the blood of Jesus Christ, it should drive us to his feet daily to spend time with him. I know we always used to tell our teenagers, you need to have a quiet time with Jesus. I hope you're spending time with him. Spend time in his word. Spend time talking to him. Just take a time where you're away from your phone, away from your devices. If you have little kids, away from your kids. And just sit at the feet of the king and let him speak to you. Uh, he has taken you from a place of, uh, of death into life. And let's not ever forget what he's done with us. Um, Jesus paid it all. To all to him I owe. And lastly... Um, we should be obedient to the word of God. F.F. Bruce says it like this. Wholehearted obedience is the sacrifice which, sacrifice which God really desires. The sacrifice which he received in the perfection from his son. When he came into the world. The psalmist's words, I have come to do your will, O God. Sums up the whole tenor of our Lord's life and ministry. And express the essence that true sacrifice of that true sacrifice that God desires. God desires our obedience. He desires it. So what do you give to a God that has everything? Uh, what do you do to give thanks to him for the salvation that he gives to you? Um, if you want to please God. The ultimate thing that you can do is you can do his will. How do we know his will? Romans 10 tells us, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We are to be obedient to the word of God. Let's pray tonight.